0: Um, You have already been blessed to hear about the kingdom of God and how big it is. So you've already heard stories about Christians in Mexico, Christians behind the Iron Curtain in Czechoslovakia. And I hope that you have that picture, that the church is a lot bigger than just us in America or just us here in Minnesota. uh, And that is very, very important. We're start, we, we, we've been doing this series the last two weeks called Home, Metaphor for the Church, the Indispensable Value of Belonging. And two weeks ago, I, I talked about home, and, and we're going to talk about that sense of belonging today uh, and a couple other things. And I hope that we realize that one of the things that inhibits our understanding of this sense of belonging as far as a church is that our culture in America is pretty individualistic. And so we tend to want to be independent and we feel like the strong people are those that are self-reliant and independent, whereas most cultures around the world, many cultures around the world, they're group-oriented rather than individualistic. When we spent our time in Thailand, my wife and I, you could really see that with the Thais. Most Asian countries are like that. And so that changes the way you look at things. And I think even in Scripture, you have to kind of realize this wasn't an American culture that Jesus was living in and that Paul was preaching in. It was more a group-oriented society. And so I think sometimes we're individualistic culture as we are. uh, It inhibits our understanding of this sense of belonging, united, one purpose. Where For those who grow up in a group-oriented society, they talk about team. They talk about community. They talk about their place on the team or in the community. They don't look to say, hey, they don't look to ever talk about their individual uh, exploits or as an individual performer. I'm not saying it's bad to have an individualistic culture. In some ways, it is healthy and it is good, but I think there needs to be a balance. If you are not balancing either one of those, things are going to go poorly, And it's that way in the church, too. If we come to church as, hey, I want my way, or I'm looking at this, or this is what I like, and we start talking about our individual desires, then we get off track really quickly. But if we say, hey, we are a part of the team, we're a part of our leader, Jesus Christ, and we want to reflect what his desire is, then that keeps us on track. I I was thinking, as Americans, how do we relate to this idea of a group? oriented society. And I thought back to my days in college. You know, college is a time when when you're, you know, maybe a little lost because you're away from home the first time where where some of your identity is, and then you're you know living life as an adult. And at my college at Oklahoma Christian, they had these social clubs. And so you kind of got in a social club. It was a little bit different than some colleges. We didn't have we didn't have this pledge week or anything like a lot of people do. A lot of schools do. But I think about that. You want to be identified with these groups. And these social clubs, you know, some of them had different identities. Some of them were the athletic ones. Some of them were the uh, popular ones. Some of them were the ones that uh, broke most of the school rules. And, you know, you kind of figured all that out. Uh, I I actually talked to Jacob Maynard this week. I said, hey, you're going to Harding. Are you going to get in one of the social clubs? And he said, yeah, I really want to. I just don't know which one I'm going to be in. So I thought, you know, Paul would probably have something to say about that. But... Uh, 30 years more and, you know, things change. I know that social clubs, their identity changed in just the few years I was in college between those. But you, during Pledge Week, you, you have no more sense of individual because you are just a pledge. You are just a freshman or sophomore, or whatever it is, and you are just going to be a part of this group. And the rest of the group Treat you you have no individuality anymore. You are just pledging to be a part of this group. And there's a lot of negative involved in that. But the positive is that that's, I think that's what God wants us to have in the church is that we are a part of a group. The, the individual is gone. So let me, let me show you. Luke chapter 9 says this. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So as Americans, this is something that's really hard. Give up your own way. Uh, That's not really ingrained in us. Uh, We're one of the countries of the world that, you know, has this good sense of independence and self-reliance and strength in in those terms. And so it is hard for us to, we, we read these words, you must give up your own way. And it means something totally different to us because of the way we've been raised. Whereas someone from a group-oriented culture, they read this and they say, Oh, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And and you see it because that's already kind of how they live. They don't want their identity to be an individual identity. They want to identify as a part of the group. But when Jesus says this, it's something uh, that may be hard for us. Is the church glorious. You know, can we talk about the church being, I I, I think most of us say, yeah, the church is great. The church is glorious. But how? What does that mean? And so uh, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 and 21 says this, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the end of a prayer that Paul prays. Verses 14 through 21. And he is saying that, yeah, we, the church, are supposed to bring glory to God. Just as Jesus Christ brought glory to God. That is our purpose. John 1:14 says it this way. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the Father's one and only Son. Sometimes we don't understand what glory means. We don't understand exactly what it means. But this is saying that the glory of God is seen in his Son, Jesus Christ, and the way he lived his life. So if you just look up at the definition of glory, it, high renown or honor. And it's won by notable achievements or something. You give glory or honor to that person based on what they've done. Sometimes it just means simple magnificence or beauty. Biblically speaking, when we talk about God's glory, the glory of God, glory of the church of Jesus Christ, it is a manifestation of his presence. Which means if the church is to reflect the glory of God, we are a manifestation of God's presence. God's spirit is here with us. He lives, as we said two weeks ago, makes his home, dwells with us. Not a visitor anymore, but takes up residence within us. And that's what we reflect. Him. His purposes. His ideas. And so I think that's a good question for us to ask ourselves. Are we a true reflection of God? Are we a true reflection of Jesus and his love? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9 and 10. If you go back a couple of chapters, it says, God has now revealed to us this mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. Everything in heaven and on earth. Everything is going to be brought together under Jesus Christ. And this was God's will and God's plan from the beginning. Um, It's... It's hard to imagine, but I think we should kind of think about what that means. Everything being brought together under Jesus Christ. It is possible for the church to reflect something other than what Jesus intended, and 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 that happens. Uh, what would it look like if you know a builder has a plan for this house, and then the Framer comes in and decides to do it the way he wants to. And then the plumber comes in and decides to do it the way he wants to. The electrician comes in and decides to do it the way he wants to. The cabinet guy, you know, it, nothing would work, right? Nothing would look right. It would be a confused mess. And sometimes that's how churches are. If we don't follow Jesus Christ, if we don't reflect him, then we can become that because we're all doing what our own desire is. Ephesians 3.6 says this, and this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. Paul uses a Greek preposition of S-Y-N, sin, for all these. He basically makes up three different words because His focus is to say Gentile and Jew together. Everybody in the world will unite under these three things. And so some versions will say together three times. New Living Translation says both three times. That is his focus is that we are to be united and together. How is God's glory revealed? You can say it's revealed in creation. We can look at, I was up at 3.45 this morning only because... The Baileys were leaving for Texas, and I wanted to help see them And The birds were, I've never heard the birds so loud. Maybe it's because I'm not usually up at 345 in the morning. But you can just, he, I just heard it, and I was like, man, it, it's kind of nice. You know, everything's quiet, and they are just singing away. But you can see God's glory in creation. We see God's glory in Jesus. That was John 1:14 that we read. You can see God's glory in a life redeemed when somebody gives their life to Christ and gives up their own way and says, I'm going to follow you, Jesus That is a life redeemed, and you see God glorified in that. You see God glorified in the church, as we read. You see God glorified in the resurrection. Not only Jesus' resurrection, but the final resurrection coming when Jesus comes back again and we're all raised to live with him eternally. That's how we see God's glory. This idea of reflecting Jesus, reflecting our builder. We as a church are not glorious and we do not bring glory to God unless we are reflecting Jesus. In Matthew 16, 18, familiar verse, it says, Now I say to you uh, that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus uses this metaphor of building, and he starts talking about this. And I, I want to just look at that a, a little bit. So uh, this picture, Frank Lloyd Wright, famous architect, you probably heard of him because I know nothing about architecture and I've heard of him. So he was born in Wisconsin, Midwesterner. He lived during the first half of the 20th century and no I was not born yet. I wasn't graduated from high school yet or anything. But uh, this picture is of the Falling Waterhouse. It's now a museum. It's in Pennsylvania somewhere. I have not been. Uh, Eric Barkesky this morning at the 830 service said he's been a couple of times to it. Uh, there was a waterfall and a creek and one of the things Frank Lloyd Wright does is he likes to combine whatever natural thing is going on with the house that he designs and as an architect and this is what he did there was a creek there and a ball and he's got that water that and the waterfall going right through part of the house and and how it's open up but you kind of see the design you know I'd rather have a log cabin but anyway this this is the design of Frank Lloyd Wright and when you see that you say hey this is his design It, it is from him and everybody knows it so here's another house that Frank Lloyd Wright designed. It's in Oskaloosa, Iowa. It's for sale right now. And if you see the carport, uh, you can kind of see some of that same design. Next picture. Um, so here's here's the carport, and I'm kind of like, well, that's that looks hard to do. How's it standing up? Well, people that know that kind of stuff do that, like him. Alright, next picture. That, the fireplace sticks out, the tables, the bookshelves, it's all kind of got that same desire. The next picture is a bedroom with a bunk bed that kind of has that same Design and architecture, so you see this and you say that's Frank Lloyd Wright. Next picture, he built this house on the edge of a hill, and it's what I read about it, it said it kind of helps warm the house. I don't know anything about that, but it's Frank Lloyd Wright, and that's what he does. Uh, and the next picture, oh, this house was built in 1910, 111 years old. That is our house, mine and my wife. Your family, so you're invited anytime. You don't have to say you're coming; just stop by, find our address, and in the directory, and then come by us. So your family's always welcome. All right. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And we said two weeks ago that he is no longer a visitor. He comes to be a resident within us. We are becoming a dwelling of him. And then as a church, he is building us as a building that is being joined together as well. So back to the Ephesians 3. We're going to read the whole prayer starting in verse 14. We read verse 20 and 21. We're going to read the whole thing and then have a couple of comments about it. But this is Paul's prayer for the church. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth, so there's one of our metaphors, derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long Verse 14 said, for this reason, some versions say, when I think of this, when I think of the church, when I think of what God has done, for this reason, then he says it again in verse 14 of the same chapter. What does that mean for this reason? The reason Paul is doing this and the reason he's talking about that, if you go back up to verse 6, he's talking about the establishment of the church. Paul has the big picture in mind. He understands the importance of that Jew and Gentile, people from all over the world, Jesus Christ is uniting into one body, one purpose. And that's why his prayer is so powerful. If you, uh, when I was reading this, William Barclay, in his commentary on this passage of Ephesians 3, he wrote this in 1954, and he says this, Paul has painted his great picture of the church. This world is a disintegrated chaos. There is division and separation everywhere, between nation and nation, between man and man, and with a man's inner life. It is God's design that all the warring and the discordant elements should be brought into one in Jesus Christ. Next slide. Jesus is God's instrument whereby men are to be brought into one. Okay, I'll read that again. Jesus is God's instrument whereby men are to be brought into one. But that cannot be done unless the church carries the message of Christ and the love of God to every man. I read that and I was like, here this guy is writing it in 1954. He's thinking about the early church first century, 2,000 years ago. He's thinking about his life and where he lives in Great Britain in you know, the early 20th century and now... 2021, it's still the same. Our world is sometimes disintegrated chaos. There's separation, country and country, man and man. We've got all this division. And yet God's purpose is through Jesus Christ to bring everybody to one, to unite, to bring healing. And that is his purpose. And yet that will not happen unless you, the church, unless we carry that message of Christ, that message of love, that message of belonging, that message of, hey, we're here together for this same purpose. It's not me, my, I desire this, it's now what does Christ, our leader, desire, and we are united in that. This was Paul's prayer, but if you remember Jesus prayed very similar prayer in John chapter 17. John chapter 17, 20 and 21, Jesus says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Jesus and Father God were totally united. Because Jesus lived to do the will of his Father. Then he wants his disciples to be united. And he wants us as his church to live to do the will of Jesus Christ. In verse 14 of the prayer, Paul says, I kneel before the the Father from whom his whole family... Um, and the New Living Translation says every family. The Greek, it can mean every. It can mean whole. It's, but it is all-inclusive. So Paul is saying the church is going to be every family, the whole family. We're all one. There's no more of this, this congregation, this congregation, this church, this, this country, this, this culture. It's everybody is together, every family in heaven and on earth. And then in verse 17 he says it again, he says, "So that Christ may dwell in your hearts." Again, home. This is it. This is where Christ wants to live, and we are to reflect the builder. The identity of church is its builder. Jesus said, "I will build my church." Christ is the source of spiritual power for our life and ministry. And then a couple of chapters later in Ephesians 5, Paul gives another metaphor. He says this in Ephesians 5:31-32, as the scriptures say, A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So he takes, you know, you have this individual and this individual. Now they unite and they're married, and now they're no longer individuals. All right. Sometimes that American culture says, what? Wait a minute. Yes, they are. No, they're not. If they continue, they're united into one for one purpose. If they continue to follow their own desires, it's, it's going to be unhealthy at best. And it's going to end up in divorce at worst. You know, we can't, that's not what we're, that's not what the marriage is. It's, it's giving up your own way and saying, now we have our way. And Paul is using that to say, that's how it should be with Christ and the church. We give up our own way. And we unite under the same purpose. Um, what is the best way to reflect our builder? What is the best way to reflect Jesus Christ? I think sometimes we think about that and we start thinking about all this theology and, oh, I don't know about everything and I may get something wrong and, and we're afraid to share. And, and I think the world in which we live in, disintegrated chaos, country to country, man to man, and even in our inner self, we lose a lot of hope, we lose a lot of peace, and I think it is easy, I'll say it again, I think it is easy to tell a neighbor, let me tell you about my Jesus, because my Jesus gives me hope. He gives me peace. He, he anchors me in the midst of all this, whether it's a pandemic or whether it's cancer or whether it's some kind of tragedy, Jesus gives me hope and anchors me in that. Let me tell you about it. And you know what? He can do the same for you. He wants to do the same for you. That's where you start. And then God's Spirit takes that seed, and then you continue. That's the easiest way to reflect our builder as a church. You may not feel like you belong. You may feel somewhat lost. You may feel somewhat of an outcast. Um, that, that's, a, that's a part of this life that we're living in, but that's not God's purpose. And we want Woodbury to be a place where... Everyone belongs. Everyone does belong. We want it to be a place where everyone feels like they belong, regardless of what's going on in their life. We want this to be a place where everyone feels that they belong. We're united under Jesus Christ. If you feel that way, allow God's love and the glory of Jesus Christ to speak to you. Embrace that love. And then you reflect that love to others, to brothers and sisters, and to those that don't know Jesus yet. You become God's community on this earth. There is glory in the church, but only as we reflect Jesus Christ, its builder. The church is not made up of brick and mortar. It's relationships, it's people. Uh, The church is great because of Jesus and the Spirit's power, and it is a place of belonging for all people. Let's pray.